Okay, all right, so I'm all riled up this morning because we're praising the Lord, amen? All right, okay. All right, what's well, good? Thank you, band. Thank you for leading us. Uh, we're excited about what God's doing in our midst. If I can't really see you, because it's very bright up here, so uh, we welcome you, Facebook. Uh, we are excited that you guys are joining us as well. We've been working now, this is our second week with what we're calling now Dangerous Prayer Sermon Series, and we were trying to get going and focusing on prayer. We have an initiative, as Pastor Dennis mentioned, and trying to get ourselves focused on what's ahead of us. Some of us, we look at prayer uh, in different ways. Uh, some of us, what we would look at prayer is that we pray about things, pray for things, and hoping that we get the things that we pray for. We know that the response from God usually is yes, no, or wait. And so um, that's not really what this prayer series is about. Dangerous prayers more focuses on asking God to enter into our hearts and reveal things that we never knew were ever there. And so as we're looking to God, we're asking God to examine us. And as we're going to work through Psalm 139, 23, and 24, and maybe some other passages, we're inviting God to lead us to where he wants to take us in this journey. And so it's vitally important for us to grasp this understanding of dangerous prayers. It's actually from a book written by Craig Rochelle, and we are working with it. But as we encourage you to read the book, if you, if you would please consider purchasing the book, and then possibly, if you can, too, to read through the book. We would like for you to do that. Easy read, challenging read, thought-provoking, and uh, we're excited to be able to go through uh, this sermon series. You know, uh, when we're looking at Psalm 139, 23, and 24, the first two words that came through was, search me. And so today, we're going to entitle our sermon, Search Me. And when I thought about that word, I said, word association, I said, man, what's the first thing that came to my mind was I was studying and I was praying since the Holy Spirit was telling me search warrant. So I took a chance and looked up the word and I said, what is a search warrant? So I want to read it to you. A search warrant is a court order that a magistrate or a judge issues to authorize law enforcement officers to conduct a search of a person location, or vehicle for evidence of a crime or to confiscate any evidence they find. So we know that when a search warrant is issued, they have evidence to find or hear or any leads to determine if there's criminal activity that's going on in a location. And so I thought about that a second. I'm thinking, wow, you know, as we think about search me and we're thinking about David and his prayer, that dangerous prayer, um, you know, we think that sometimes, you know, we, we look at it and we're saying, is it possible that we would transfer this over to our spiritual walk and see if it's possible that the Holy Spirit would come and search? And if he does, what will he find? Any criminal activity in our hearts? And so the issuing of a search warrant as believers, um, you know, do we often, con con you know, issue a search warrant for another person's heart? How often do we do that? <laughs> How often do we try to get a search warrant and then we look at other people 
and try to figure out, okay, what's going on in their lives? We're not asking God to search us, nor are we issuing God a search warrant to search on us or asking him to give us a search warrant or search for a search warrant. And so it's like, okay, what are we doing here? So what does that mean? Have you ever questioned a person's heart when they committed an act? Uh, We attempt to try to figure out what they're thinking. You know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of these religious leaders at the time of Jesus would often issue a search warrant on Jesus. The false teachers even did that with Paul the Apostle. And they interrogated his heart. They wanted to know. In fact, at one point in John chapter 8, the Pharisees were accusing Jesus of being a Samaritan and having a demon. Now, that's about as low as it gets. And so they had a search warrant out for Jesus. This liar, this lunatic who claimed to be God, they had a search warrant out. And Jesus responded by saying this, Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. In other words, what he's saying is, I am God, I am deity, I'm God in flesh, I'm the incarnate Christ, and I am one with the Father, therefore, I am God. And they say, wow, this guy is a lunatic. How could he claim to be God? In fact, how they responded, the Pharisees says, now we know you have a demon. (laughs) Because what they did was they're interrogating him. They're issuing a search warrant out. How many times do we do that? How many times do we say in our hearts, I know that person's not walking with the Lord. Their attitude, their actions, their display of not being interested in the things of God. I can guarantee it. That's what we say in our hearts. And we begin to judge people's hearts. We would prefer others to be accountable for wrongdoing. It feels better. We have the upper hand on the relationship. It feels good for us. But let me just ask you another question. Have you ever given God a, 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 just, a, just asked God, or have you ever given God a search warrant for your heart? Have you ever given God that? Have you ever just handed it to God and saying, God, I issue a search warrant for my heart. Come in and check it out. Have we ever done that? What is Christianity really supposed to mean? I mean, if God created us to have a relationship with you, with you and I, if he's at, we've asked him to do that, and we've transferred and trusted in him and his son, the person and work of Jesus, and given our territory of our heart, of our life over to him, are we not giving him rights to our heart to search? And if we are, should we freely not issue a search warrant for our hearts and say, God, come on in and search? See, we, we spend hours and hours judging people. We consider not judging our own intentions because we believe they're pure, but we judge other people's actions. And we start to say, you know, hey, wait a minute, uh, I'm going to play the Holy Spirit in the lives of others. And we begin to search and identify the crimes that are happening and the injustices and the sin in other people's hearts. But we're saying, wait a minute, what about our hearts? What about the criminal activity that's happening in our hearts, the infectious diseases of sin? And if when we call out people, we begin to believe that there's an, it has nothing to do with us. See, we do this comparison theology. We compare ourselves to others saying, I'm not so bad, but this person over here, they're messed up. So I'm going to pull out a search warrant on their heart. Because we don't want to look at ourselves, but God's saying, wait a minute, 
what about your heart? I want to search you. I'm interested in your heart. I want to work on you. You've given me the right, so I want to come in and search. But we hold back. And see, that comparison theology is what hurts us sometimes. We don't want to be held accountable before God. It's easier to just find wrong in someone else. In fact, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, I want to read that to you because it talks about this. It says, judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with that measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you seek the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, Jesus said. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. It's important for us to gather that, because when we say, God, search me, we're not looking towards others. We're asking God to look inwardly. So I had some fun this week in teaching or just studying and working through this and asking God some questions and praying, and I sense that God gave me three types of Christians that we see out here. Number one is uh, I call the checkout Christian. Um, these are Christians that are just checked out. Uh, these are Christians that may attend occasionally. They may include Jesus Christ in their daily routine when necessary. Uh, they may even use him in uh, bad language. Uh, they may pray once in a while when necessary. However, for the most part, this person is checked out. It's kind of like when a hockey game is happening, right? And a player gets penalized for a play. The player is placed in the box for a period of time. This player is checked out of the game. No confession for wrongdoing. The player needs to pay his due. When a Christian is checked out, they're not in the game. They're out of fellowship with God, out of relationship with God. Then I said, what's the second type? Well, the second type is the check mark Christian, the check mark. These are Christians that usually attend church regularly, uh, give of their time, their talents, and their money, and include Jesus Christ in their daily routine. However, they consider and include Jesus as a task, a to-do list, to clear their conscience. Check mark, you know, check, check, check. I did this, I did that, I did this. I... They perform the duty of a Christian, but it seems like there's no internal change in the heart. Full of information, but no transformation. They are the same. I call that consistent Jimmy. You know, they just come out and they're checkmarked. You know, they just make sure. And then they go on with their lives and try to figure everything out for themselves. Now you have the third one, the check-in Christian. And the check-in Christian is these Christians attend church regularly, give of their time, their talents, their money, including Jesus Christ and their daily routine. But they're not interested and only performing tasks and duties for the Lord. These are Christians who want daily, internal heart change. They want God, the Holy Spirit, to convict them of sin so they can walk in deep intimacy with God, that they can walk in a deep-seated relationship with the Lord. These are Christians that are engaged in prayer, consistently reading the scriptures, and inviting the Lord to transform their hearts. They're always looking for an opportunity to serve the Lord in their endeavors. They're confronted and convicted of sin daily and seeking the Lord. Now, they're not perfect. In fact, what they're saying is, God, we want you to check in because we know we're a mess. We know there's a problem here. 
Houston, we've got a problem. And the problem is my heart, Lord, and I need you to come and check in. In fact, it's the opposite. They know they don't have it all together. See, pharisaical theology, comparison theology, thinks that or has this facade and this mask on that we have it all together. So we don't say, God, come in and check in. We just say, hey, Lord, I'll just do my check mark. That's the Pharisee. They just check, 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 and said they did it. But there's no internal change. God is challenging us to be a people that are different. So here are a couple of things that we want to believe that we want to be a people who are checking in or asking God to check in with us. So what's that check-in Christian? Well, the check-in Christian is willing to do a couple of things here. And we're going to look at David and his prayer and his imperatives here in Psalm 139, 23, and 24. It says the check-in Christian is willing to pray these dangerous prayers. What's this first prayer? Well, this first prayer is, hey, search me. Search me, O God. I mean, it's right there in, in verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. David was commanding. These are imperatives. There are two imperatives there. Search me and know me are in the imperative tense. And it's saying this, that he's handing a search warrant to the Lord and says, please, Lord, check in. Search my heart. I don't want to hide anything from you because I want to be pure with integrity. In fact, search means to explore. It's kind of like that. God's knocking on the door. Remember, when God knocks on the door of our heart, there's no handle on the outside because we have the handle on the inside. We've got to let him in. <laughs> and so he's knocking on our door. And how do we respond when he's knocking on our door? The Holy Spirit's in. We said, what, you know, so what do we say? Hold on, Lord. Hey, Bruno. Hey, Bruno. Hide the magazine under the rug. Hey, hey, hey. Delete the site you were just looking at. Come on, come on. Remove the cash. Come on, dude. Come on. Yo. All right, come on in, Lord. Hey. Come on, Lord, as you can see, everything's nice and clean. Got a nice seat here for you. You don't have to check anything. Lord, I'm good, Lord. I'm good. Everything's good. Now everything's cleaned up, Lord God. I don't need you. I got it all covered. God's saying, I'm not coming in for that reason. What did you just remove from your computer? Oh, you saw that, Lord? What's that lump in the rug right there? Uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm just as surprised as you, Lord. Let me look and see. We think God's not looking, he's not checking. But see, he looks and he checks because he loves us. And he's interested to come in. And when he's knocking, we gotta open the door and leave things the way that they are so that he could deliver us from it. See, that's what God wants to do. In fact, David is praying that prayer because he already knows. He already knows. In verse one, he said, oh Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. He goes, you already know this. So why would he ask again in verse 23? It's because he wants to go deeper in intimacy with God. Oh, good for David. He wants to go deeper in intimacy. He's a, he's a great Christian. No, that's required of him. And that's required of us. That's the seriousness of this. Because see, God's calling all of us to do that. Just like he did in Jeremiah. He called the prophet Jeremiah the same thing. Because as he said to David, I know your heart. I know. I know when you sit down. I know when you get up. I know your thoughts. I know what you're going to say before you say it. You can't escape from me. I'm, I'm omniscient and I'm omnipresent. He says the similar thing, even with Jeremiah. Jeremiah goes, now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you, the Lord said to him, in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to, to the nations. See, that word new means, it just means foreordained, chosen. 
for a purpose, created and formed in his mother's womb, consecrated, set apart, appointed for God's purposes, not his. See, he's a prophet. And as a prophet, he would have thought, oh, wow, God's got something cool for me. I'm going to go into towns. People are going to receive me. They're going to love me. They're going to throw parties for me. Everybody's going to say, yo, 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 Jeremiah's here. Yo, man, get the wine out. Everybody, let's drink. We're going to have a party. No, that didn't happen to him. That didn't happen. In fact, he's the weeping prophet. That's what he's known for. He suffered more than anything else. There was no cheering for the man who was called the prophet. He would look and he would seek and he would talk and he would share because God gave him the word that he would share. And it wasn't a good word. He called out people of their sin. And God was saying, hey, you know what? You're not going to be recognized in the way that you were hoping. See, he had a plan for him for his purposes. He was calling out Israel for their sin. And he was searching, he was seeking. See, that word form in the Hebrew is also the same word that we find in Genesis 2-7. God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed in his nostrils. Roka. That's the, that's the word where it says the, the, the Holy Spirit breathing to give him life. And even in Psalm 139, 13 and 14, as David is running through this psalm and he's sharing his heart, he goes, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So he says, know my heart. And David says, you already know my heart. And God's saying, I formed you in the innermost parts, the inward parts of you. I'm the one who created you in your mother's womb. And he goes on to say this. He says, it's the idea that he goes, my soul knows it well. We understand inward as the secret hiding place. God knows all these things. Now, see, the word formed in the Hebrew with 2-7 and Genesis and also in Jeremiah is a little different here because this is more intimate. That was generally saying that I've created you, but now I'm going to show you that I've created the innermost secret parts, your intentions and your thoughts, similarly to what we see in Hebrews 4-12. And so the word of truth that comes and cuts like a double-edged sword. And so you see that he's saying, I've made you perfectly. I have a purpose for you. I've I've knitted you together in your mother's womb. I know you. And then David, even when he says about the word parts, it means actually kidneys. I know you'd be surprised at the words kidneys. It's the seed of, of one's emotions and moral character, the immaterial man, the dichotomy of soul and spirit. But what he knew well, what David knew well, was that if God was going to come in and search... His soul knew well that God was going to comfort him through the search. See, God doesn't search in our hearts and calls us out and judges us and then says, I'm not going to correct you. He doesn't just sit there and want to punish us. God searches out because he wants to make us more like Jesus. It's a, it's a, it, I call it grace because God doesn't have to do it, but he does it because he's called us out for a purpose. We know that in Galatians 1.15, well, Paul was set apart in his mother's womb for a purpose. And so each one of us, when you're a kaleo, when you're called of God in salvation, you're called for his purposes, not for ours. It's not for our intentions, but for his. And so God is, he's searching and he's he's reaching out and he's saying, and David knew his soul was well with him. And so why don't we invite God? How come we don't? I think we're afraid of being humiliated. I think we're afraid of being called out. I think we're afraid of condemnation. But he said there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, but we still think he's going to condemn us. 
Our emotions start to take over. We're afraid. And God's saying, I'm searching you out for a purpose. I think sometimes it's because we're praying with the wrong procedure or process or intention. You know, Craig Rochelle said in his book, he said, instead of simply asking God to do something for me, I've asked him to reveal something in me. That's the beauty of God. When he's conforming us to the image of Christ, we draw closer to him. In fact, what we're doing is we're inviting God to reveal sin in our lives. This is the person who says, search me. We, that person is saying, inviting God to reveal my sin. But it's okay because it hurts. It's painful, but God has a perfect, perfect plan. Number two, the check-in Christian is willing to pray these dangerous prayers. The second prayer is test me. Test me. It's try me, test me. The word is test. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, try me, and know my thoughts. Now, the idea again here, word association. When I, when I think of the word test for some of you teachers out there, I, it just reminds me of all those exams and tests and all the evenings where I studied hard and was concerned, sweating, although metaphorically I wasn't literally sweating, but I was just concerned, the stress, the pressure, the pain, the suffering to get a good grade. I wanted so bad to get a good grade unless it was two years at UConn before I came to Christ where my grades didn't matter. But most people would want to do well and succeed in school. But the process of preparing for the test is just grueling. It's exhausting. It's arduous. And I think that same kind of testing, the pressure comes in. When we say, God, test me. We're commanding God to test me. And see, David was saying, test me, Lord. See if there's any offensive way in my anxious thoughts. And it reminded me of 1 Peter 1 through 6. Because just like at the time of the living hope of Christ, when he was saying, God is our, Christ is our living hope, they were seeing at the time of Nero where Christians were being killed just for the name of Christ. They were being thrown up on stakes and lit up and fired up like light posts. And Christians were seeing their parents. They were seeing their children. They were seeing their sisters and their brothers. They were seeing friends and cousins all being killed for the name of Christ. And Peter was trying to encourage them, don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. And he says, in this you should rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He goes on to say this, so that, verse, so that tested genuous of your faith. It's just a, it's tested your genuineness of your faith. More precious than gold that perishes through it when it's tested by fire. May be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to be. He's saying, focus on the return of Christ. See, gold, we understand, too. You know this very well, um, that intense heat is applied to metals and alloys in order to extract the impurities of it, which ultimately results in a pure substance. That's where gold, gold must go through that process. In fact, they say up to 1,600 degrees Fahrenheit. The heat is immense. The pressure is hard on the metal to draw, just to draw out all these impurities. And that's what God is doing when he tests us and we ask him to do that. He's drawing out all these habits, these addictions, these things in which we do. And he's working them out. And even our thoughts. When he's saying that, that, that means disturbing and unsettled thoughts, anxious, anxiety that brings us to this place. See, what we're doing is we're ultimately inviting 
God, when we say test me, Lord, we're inviting God to reveal our emotional weaknesses. You know, I, I got to be honest, fear and worry, I, I gotta, it, it, it's sin. We can't say it any nicer. It's sin, but it's intentional sin. It's not intentional sin. It's unintentional sin. You don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, guess I will live fear a little bit today. Oh, boy, I can't wait to worry for a little bit. I mean, it just comes naturally. We just fall into worry. We fall into fear. It's a struggle for us because we are ruminated with all these thoughts, thinking, how in the world am I going to be able to do these things? We see all these things that come our way, and we're trying to control it. We're trying to put it into perspective. We're trying to get a hold of it, and God is saying, Hey, wait a minute, you know, I can take that from you if you want. But we do that. You know, 85 to 90% of the things that we fear and we worry don't even happen, but we're just consumed with it. It just, it destroys us and it breaks those barriers between us and God. It's a dangerous prayer. But when God starts to reveal those things to us, it's immense. And it's, so it's important for us to realize that these are weaknesses that we have. And we got to ask God to, we got to invite him in. We got to put that search warrant out and saying, God, help me. I'm worrying a lot. I don't know where my, my marriage is going to go. I don't know where my children are going to go. I don't know what's going to happen with my job. I could lose my job. Or what's going to happen, you know, if, if, if something happens to my husband. You know, Craig, Craig Rochelle said that in his uh, book. He said that his wife, when they had their third child, after they had, she had the child, she wasn't doing well. She was fatigued. They didn't know what was happening, so they went to the doctors to see what was happening. And at that moment when they were going, he, just was, he was just filled with fear. He says, what happens if God takes my wife? Who's going to take care of the children? Am I going to be able to work? Am I going to still be able to be the pastor of the church, life church? What am I going to be able to do? But he knew that God was the one who needed to be in control. And he realized that that was something that God had to, re that revealed to him that he was consumed with fear at that moment. And he had to ask God to help him with his weakness. It wasn't intentional. It was unintentional. It just came across to him. And he learned to trust in God. It was a dangerous prayer. And sometimes with us, I got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm afraid to pray, pray these prayers. Search me, test me. See if there's any anxious thought. Of course I have anxiety. Of course I could have fear. Of course I have worry. It's sin in my life. But I have to bring that to God. The third thing, the check-in Christian is, is willing to pray these dangerous prayers um, by looking inside, saying, look inside me. God, look inside me. You know, uh, Psalm 139.24 says, and see... Stop there just, you know, and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. So see in me. What is it that we have to see in me? Any grievous way. Now, in Hebrew, Aramaic Hebrew, sometimes they have one word that has two different meanings. And this is that one word, the grievous word. One can mean pain, toil. Uh, it could mean something of the effect of just immense anguish. And another, it can mean false idols. Worship, uh, idol worshiping. And so what David would come across with and many of the other who were kings and prophets would see these foreign nations that would have other gods that they would follow. They would follow uh, the Dagon god of the Philistines. They would follow Baal of the Canaanites. 
and they would worship, and they would have high places where they would look to these false idols and these false gods. Even the Israelites, when they were in their 40 years, had a, a golden calf where they would worship. And so these idol worships, when these, these false idols were made of metal and wood, and people would carry them with them, hoping that they would have their God to follow with them. And the Israelites had the Ark of the Covenant, and they had God and his presence come with them. But God was doing manifestations, physical manifestations that were miraculous works that the Israelites could say, my God has done this. But still these idols were distracting because when the Israelites were struggling, they would then fall away. They'd be that checkout Christian and then look towards these other false idols. <clears throat> so what was happening, they were being distracted. How many of us are distracted by idols? How many of us have idols in our lives? How many of us look to idols because they comfort us and they give us security. It could be money, it could be a job, it could be family, it could be sports, it could be anything that gives you that. But again, this is a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous prayer to say, God, look inside. It's a dangerous prayer to say, God, I invite you in. It's a dangerous prayer when we say, oh God, I invite you in to look in at my idolatrous tendencies. That's what the word means here. <clears throat> it means idolatrous tendencies. The NET says, and I agree with it, because I think that's what leads to pain and anguish and toil. When we fall into these tendencies of, of moving towards our idols, that our relationship with God is severed and it's broken and we're out of relationship because we're leaning on something else that comforts us. We're not leaning on God. We're not asking God to come in inside and look in and to change us and transform us. We just do Christianity on the outside. And then we expect God to be at work. And we expect God to be blessing our church. We expect God to be blessing us to draw closer to him. And we're, we're just, we just continue to live out Christianity on the outside. But God's saying, I just want to come inside because I love you. I created you. I have a relationship with you. I want to comfort you. I want to be your security. I want to be the one that is your secret hiding place. Psalm 32, 7, the psalmist says this, you are my secret hiding place. You protect me from distress. You surround me with the shouts of deliverance. When people are excited about singing the name of Jesus or praying to God through Christ and seeing that God has delivered them, it's in those moments when we say, God, search me and test me. Come and look inside and do a work in me. And when he delivers us from these emotional weaknesses, when he delivers us from these idolatrous tendencies, then we're delivered and then we raise our hands and say, God, thank you for setting me free. We can't do Christianity on the outside. We got to ask God to come in on the inside. Amen. Guys, we've got to see God do that. That's not something that you and I can talk ourselves into. It comes when we seek the Lord and ask him to search us out. That's what God's doing. That's what he wants to do. Number four, the Czech and Christian is willing to pray these dangerous prayers when he or she is saying, lead me, lead me, lead me and direct me. I mean, that's what it means. It means that, hey, God, I need you to direct me. I must be humbled before you. I must understand I can't figure this out. I can't control it. I can't control my fears. I can't control my worries. God, I need you to lead me. And David, he was sitting there as the king saying, God, I need you to lead me. I need you to lead me in the way of everlasting to direct me. And the word of everlasting 
It means, obviously, eternity. So whatever I do, Lord, lead me that honors you, that pleases you, that brings glory to you, that makes an everlasting impact in my life. So the question is, are we making an impact in our lives? Our neighbors here in Christ are seeing Christ in us. Because, see, when God comes in and he changes us, when he's coming in and we give him the search warrant to come in and he changes, although it's very painful, and he comforts us, then God changes us, we're transformed, and then we're a new people. And when we're a new people, then our neighbors start to see something different in us. And when they see something different in us, they're going to ask the question, hey, there's something different about you. And then God gives us an opportunity. Well, let me share with you why I'm different. And then we share, and we get to share, and there's an opportunity for the gospel to be shared in our lives. So we need a living faith. And for a living faith to happen, we need to invite God to come into our hearts through Christ. And God promises that he'll comfort us, that he'll be with us, that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. That when we ask God to lead us, we're going to succeed. I understand it's unknown when we say, God, lead me. We don't know. It's scary. I mean, I already told you, I'm afraid of these prayers. I understand. But the very things that we call the unknown, it's not unknown to God. God knows I smile because David said, you have known me and you have searched me. And I love that David said, search me some more, Lord. We need a people today, a people of God that's willing to pray this dangerous prayer. You know, when we're in pain, we go to the doctors and they examine us. It is a search to find out and discover the origin of the pain so they can find a diagnosis with the intention to find a cure. We can't blame our neighbors or our family members for the physical pain. We go to the doctor and say, please, we command you, search me. I want to be healed. The same spiritually. When we're spiritually hurting with sin, we need to issue a search warrant for our heart and know God has the greatest intention and blessing for us. He knows us because he's formed us in our mother's womb. He knows us that he did that for a purpose. He set us free. And it's for his purpose. I shared this with you before. Galatians 1.15 is one of my life verses. My mom tried to abort me when she was having me as a, when she knew she was pregnant with a third child. She took the pill back then. She was hoping that she wouldn't have to have another child. But God formed me in my mother's womb for a purpose. I'm here twice, once because my parents decided to come to America, I wouldn't be here. I'd be in Italy. And he's called me, and if I were in Italy, I can assure you right now, I don't think I'd be called. But God saved me. He formed me in my mother's womb. And he saved me, and he brought me here for that purpose. That's why I'm excited about Jesus. It has nothing to do with me being Italian. It has all for the fact that God saved me, and I'm excited about it. And I want to tell you something. If you know that purpose in your life, the impact is real. I want to take every opportunity I can to make sure someone comes with me to heaven. And I pray that would be your prayer because God is saying, I want to work in your life. I want to work in your life. Will you allow me to do it? When we issue God a search warrant, it's a beautiful thing. Because when we do for our heart, 
we know this, God will hold us together. And the search, through the search, it's going to all come together for his purposes. It's all going to come together for his purposes. It's all for him. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. When I saw that verse and thought about it and studied, God gave me laminin. <laughs> because the laminin is a beautiful thing. It's a cell adhesive molecule. It's the stuff that holds the membranes of our bodies together. The diagram you see before you is just a diagram, but showing that it's a shape of glue, a glue that holds us together in the form of a cross. God is saying in the most beautiful way to all of us, I'm holding your, your physical body together, and I'm holding you together spiritually through the cross. Jesus died a horrible death for you and I on the cross, freed us from sin, gave us eternal life, and he's given us the hope, the living hope of Jesus Christ. And as we know him more and more in the depths of our being, he can set us free from addictions, from pains, from all the stuff that keeps us from our relationship with him. See, I don't want to be a checkout Christian, and I don't want to be a checkmark Christian. I want to be a check-in Christian. I want Jesus to come in and check in even if it hurts. Because I want him to cleanse me and wash me and make me a man of integrity. I want him to use me. I get it. It's a courageous step. It's a dangerous prayer. But what could happen if the church would do that together? What if we did this together? What would happen to the church? Are you afraid? I am. <laughs> I hope you're courageous enough to say that you're afraid, but that's okay. You're in great company because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's time for us to take this step toward God. The Lord promises he'll be with us. The Lord promises he'll hold us together in the search. It's time for us to truly check in and ask God, will you check in on me? Let's pray. Father, we're grateful today. You've reminded us with a very challenging passage, one that is sobering, surreal. We know, Lord, it's going to require to go deeper in our relationship with you. But us going deeper in our relationship with you doesn't give us any extra kudos. <laughs> it's required of us. We're your soldiers in Christ, and there are many people in this area who either are part of the military or live or work for the government, and they could tell me better what does it mean to be a soldier. I've never been a soldier in the military. But I know this, Lord, I am your soldier for Christ. I am a soldier in Christ. And, Lord, I know this, that you don't want any whining or complaining. You're calling us to be soldiers in your army, to make a difference, to stand strong, and to be able to pray this courageous prayer, this dangerous prayer, to say, God, search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
See if there be any grievous way or idolatrous tendencies in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. Oh, God, thank you that you hold us together just like a lamin in our body. You hold us together through the cross. But, God, I pray that your people here at Grace would start to be truly serious about saying, God, here I am. Search me. Here's my search warrant. Come on in, Lord. Check in and search my heart. God, I pray that that would be our prayer. God, challenge us. May we be excited about what you're about to do. Protect us, Lord, we pray from the enemy. And we thank you in advance to what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen.